0: Every subscription will come with a free Heritage ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers lifetime quality commitment. That's GoodRanchers.com, code DailyWire. Today on the Matt Wall Show, I
1: raised $100,000 for AOC's grandmother, and the money was turned down. As you can imagine, I have some thoughts to share about that. We'll do that today. Also, five headlines, including BLM riots over their latest murder, again in Minneapolis this time. This one was a violent felon and fugitive who shot at the cops and then died in the process and yet we're riding over him. Also, a prominent psychiatrist confesses her fantasies of murdering white people, and she's a psychiatrist. And a feud between rival beekeepers has erupted on TikTok, and you know I have to talk about that, plus our daily cancellation and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Out of all the headlines to come out of the events of this past weekend, this is Surely my favorite. From The Independent, it reads, Right-wing blogger launches GoFundMe for AOC's Puerto Rico grandmother in latest personal attack. Actually, let me correct myself. That's not my favorite headline of the weekend. It's my favorite headline possibly of all time. And I feel that way even though it misgenders me as a blogger, which I'm not, by the way. Not anymore. Um, now, now those who, who missed the show on Friday and, uh, and made the good and healthy decision to avoid the Internet over the weekend are... No doubt extremely confused right now. So let me back up and explain this story from the beginning. And then I'll talk about the lessons that we can learn now that the saga has reached its dramatic conclusion. So it began last week when Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez tweeted out photographs of her grandmother's dilapidated home in Puerto Rico. Well, it was allegedly her grandmother's dilapidated home in Puerto Rico. She explained that her dear abuela has been living in this squalor with a collapsing ceiling and buckets all over the floor to catch the rainwater ever since Hurricane Maria a few years ago. She explained that, of course, it's Trump's fault that nobody has bothered to fix abuela's ceiling in the past four years. Now, I responded to her tweet reminding her that she's a wealthy and famous politician and that maybe she should take care of her own family members using the funds that she has personally available To her as a wealthy and famous politician, she responded to me. uh, She clapped back, as the left wing blogs put it, saying that she's worried about not just her grandmother, but the systemic injustices in Puerto Rico and society in general. And she accused me of being unconcerned, indeed, totally fine with systemic injustices myself. She did not, however, promise that she would personally pay to fix her grandmother's ceiling. That was a noticeable omission in her response. So a day later, I launched a GoFundMe campaign to repair and save Abuela's home. If AOC is not going to help her family members and is going to wait around for the government to fix the problem, then I felt it had fallen to me to do what AOC would not or could not do. I'm not judging her, though. I just want to be clear. She did just buy a new Tesla, and those monthly payments can be pretty steep. She also has two apartments, and she's making payments on those, so she's got her money tied up and all that, and uh, so, you know, she probably explain that to Abuela and said, listen, Granny, I'm sorry. I got, I got the two apartments. I got the Tesla. You know, you've got buckets, right, for the rainwater. You'll be fine. Just make sure you, you, just, you change those things out every couple of days. Now, right after starting the campaign, I, of course, reached out to AOC personally, both on Twitter and through email, to try and coordinate with her to make sure that the funds made it to her abuela. Um, She didn't respond to my messages. Indeed, she never publicly or privately acknowledged the fundraiser at all. Least of all, did she thank me for it? I can't say I was surprised by that, but I also can't say that my feelings weren't hurt. I'm a very sensitive and emotional guy, as you know, and uh, that cut me pretty deep. And yet, the fundraiser marched on. I wasn't doing this for personal accolades. I was only partially doing it for personal accolades. Mainly, it was about saving Abuela's home. And we made stunning progress in that regard in the space of just a few hours. Many prominent people in right-wing media, including all of the hosts here at The Daily Wire, as well as Stephen Crowder and Dave Rubin and others, all joined the effort. And in the space of 10 hours, get this, we raised $100,000 in 10 hours. Now, think about that. 100 grand in 10 hours. AOC couldn't apparently raise any money for her abuela in four years. We raised $100,000 in an afternoon on a Friday. It was inspiring. It was tremendous. We were arguably the most successful charity troll campaign of all time. It also might have been the only charity troll campaign of all time. But then things took a turn around 10 o'clock on Friday night. Um, I uh, just gotten back from dinner with my wife and I went to check the GoFundMe page only to find that the donations had been turned off. Now it said on the page, and this is what confused me, it said that donations had been paused, quote, by the organizer. But I thought I was the organizer and I didn't pause them. So that seems sort of strange. Then a short time later, I received this email from the GoFundMe trust and safety team. This is what I read. I'll, I'll, this is what it said. I'll read it to you. It said, and, and pay close attention to the language they use here. Dear Matt, we are in touch with the beneficiary's family and they have made clear that they will not be accepting the funds raised. When a beneficiary doesn't want to accept the funds that have been raised on their behalf, it is standard practice to turn off donations, then refund all donors. We recommend posting an update on the fundraiser to let your donors know that they will be fully refunded within the next couple of days. They'll also receive an automatic message from GoFundMe informing them of their refund. They will get 100% of their donation back three to seven business days after the refunds are issued. Please let us know if you have any questions. And they did issue the refunds. I, I put $499 into the campaign to kick things off, which happens to be the, um, the monthly lease payment for Tesla. You know, we just chose that amount randomly. And um, I got the, the refund yesterday. I didn't want it. I'm sorry, Abuela, I tried. As far as questions, I do have some. Did Abuela herself turn down the money? It says the beneficiary's family turned it down, but we weren't raising money for her family. They have quite enough, it would seem. Like the Tesla, the two apartments, you know. We were raising money for her. Since when can the family the family of a beneficiary shut down a fundraising campaign? And more importantly, why did they shut it down? AOC showed us... Pictures of her abuela's home nearly falling apart. By the looks of it, she was living in a crumbling shack and had been living like that for years. We raised enough money to not only fix her house, but change her life. And we did that in 10 hours. Imagine if, we had, if it had gone on for another two or three days. I mean, we could have raised a million dollars. Easily, we could have. And that could have gone to abuela and, then they, and, then, and, and they could have fixed up her home, made it perfect. And uh, then they could have taken the rest of the money if they wanted to, because it'd be their money. And they could have given it to a charity in Puerto Rico to help other people. They could have, we, we could have fixed up the entire neighborhood with that money. And it was turned down. This is real money. Okay, the, the money was not a joke. It's really there. The fact that someone in Abuela's family turned down the money seems to indicate one of two things. Either AOC would rather let her own loved ones suffer than accept help from conservatives and not just her loved ones again, but the, the whole community. The whole community could have benefited from this. Or, and this is the other really scandalous possibility, and I don't know if this is true or not. The other possibility is that she misled the public about Abuela's living conditions. Were those pictures actually current photos of Abuela's home? Was it all a ruse? I don't know. I mean, she does seem to have a history of kind of exaggerating um, her own personal trauma and perhaps that of those close to her. I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. But either way, whatever the explanation, whatever motivated Abuela's family to shut down the fundraiser while not saying a word about it publicly, the truth is unflattering to AOC, to say the least. We certainly exposed something through this effort. We can only speculate as to what exactly that is. And honestly, I am tired of AOC and people like her constantly using emotional blackmail and supposed personal trauma to score political points and silence opposition. We called her on it this time in a big way, and I can guarantee you she regrets ever bringing Abuela into the conversation. If that's all we achieved in the end, then I'd say it was more than worth it. But we achieved more than that. We proved another important point. Tragedy and misfortune are often exploited in order to push for government action. And we're made to believe that, the only, you know, that only the government can address these sorts of problems. But we addressed the problem and could have solved it in just one day through private action. And I, I, I have to keep stressing. I cannot stress enough. $100,000 in 10 hours. We could have gone to a million easily. And how far could that money have gone? Not just for Abuela, but for the whole community. If they had chosen to share it. Um, There's a lesson here for those who are willing to learn it. Finally, most of all, we proved that I am one of the world's leading philanthropists. I'm like Bill Gates, except without the sex parties or the $100 billion. So I guess I'm not like Bill Gates at all, come to think of it, but I will now be throwing my hat into the ring for a Nobel Peace Prize. I'm not sure if that's how it works exactly, but I would like to announce that uh, I'll accept the award if it's offered to me. And I think we can all agree that I'm deserving, especially because the award means absolutely nothing these days anyway. So you might as well give it to a guy who trolled a politician by raising $100,000 for a grandmother. Why not? Now, some people I know uh, are, are, may not be satisfied, and there are still questions about what we did here and why we did it. There are some even on the right who object. There were some on the right who were offended by all of this and let me know it. And there are some people still questioning, you know, was it all just a big troll? Was it a stunt? Was it charitable? Was it proving a point? Was it trying to solve a problem? Was it a sincere attempt to raise money for a cause? Was it mean? Was it nice? Was it petty? Was it generous? Was it hilarious? The answer, in short, is yes. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now, word from our good friends over at Charity Mobile. Look, Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company, and uh, they're a pro-life phone company because 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice, which is is great because it shows that at least there's one company. They're not the only one, but it's unfortunately a minority of companies out there that really uh, are on our side in the culture and uh, fighting for the same causes that we are. And when you find a company like that, it really is important to support them. You can help to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. It's really a win-win, both on the charity side of it and also on the, uh, on the quality of the service because a lot of perks come with uh, being a charity mobile customer. You get new activations and eligible accounts, get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. There's no contracts, there's no termination fees and there's no risk with a 30-day guarantee. It's also live customer service based right here in the USA. And if you uh, have any issues at all need to talk to them, it's very easy to do. You can call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at CharityMobile.com. Again, if you want to be a charity mobile customer, chat with them online at CharityMobile.com. Also, new lower monthly plan prices and a new plan with higher data limit. Existing customers automatically get the new lower plan prices, so no need to contact them and ask. Again, that's CharityMobile.com. All right, uh, this is not in, uh, the, in my headlines because I, d- I didn't watch it because I'm not going to pay $50 for something that you can watch after the fact for free. But I guess there was this fight, um, boxing match between Floyd Mayweather and, and, uh, and um, Logan Paul yesterday, and I, I guess nobody won. It was an exhibition match, and there was, there was no winner. Um, Floyd Mayweather is retired and in his 40s. So he's got, but he's also a professional boxer, Logan Paul, much bigger, younger, not a professional boxer. So, you know, you match those two up and you get just a bad fight, I guess, that people paid $50 to watch. My, my only, I guess my only question that I, that I take from uh, this event and, and really any boxing match, but, I, you know, you look at some of the promotional photos. From this event. And there's always that one. And because they always do this in boxing. Where they, uh, they you know square off a couple days before the fight. And they get right in each other's. Like this close to each other's faces. Like they're, like they're just about to kiss with their mouths like an inch from, from each other. And they stare at each other for five minutes. And I feel really uncomfortable just seeing it. I can't imagine how uncomfortable it is to do. Well, I guess my point is, why do? What's the point of that? Why do boxers do that? Yeah, they don't do that. They don't do that before a, a football game. You don't have the players from both sides take their helmets off and meet in the middle of the field and make out like that. That only is in boxing, and I, I don't understand it. That's the end of my analysis of that. All right. Um, Number one, rioting broke out in Minneapolis again over the weekend. It, it, it happens so often now, especially in Minneapolis, that you don't even notice anymore. Of course, part of the reason you don't notice it is that the media doesn't really cover it. And they don't cover it because for obvious political and ideological reasons. But I also think that it's, it's, it's hardly even news anymore. Because it happens so often. Not to give the media an excuse for not reporting because they should. But at the same time, I think everyone almost has the same attitude. Of, uh, oh yeah, BLM is riding again. What else is new? Oh, they burned down three buildings? Eh. I mean, they they do do it all the time. At a certain point, it just becomes part of the the background. Um, And it shouldn't be, but that's what it becomes because they're allowed to do this over and over again for months and years on end. Um, But that's what was happening. And this time, the martyr of choice is a guy named Winston Bougie Smith. As far as I know, Bougie is his real middle name. It's not a nickname. I could be wrong about that. But this is from Fox 9. Let me read a little bit of the report to you. It says, Winston Bougie Smith, as identified by family and friends, was shot by a Ramsey County deputy and a Hennepin County deputy during an encounter on the top floor of the parking garage in the 1400 block of Lake Street Thursday afternoon. Um, A U.S. Marshal's fugitive task force was attempting to arrest Smith 32 years old, for a a warrant on a felony firearms violation when the incident occurred. Um, BCA investigators, that's the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, say there's evidence showing that Smith fired his gun from inside the vehicle and spent casings were found on the driver's side. However, there's no body camera footage or squad dash cam footage of the incident. The BCA says members of the task force weren't allowed to wear body cameras, despite a change in policy at the federal level allowing for the use of cameras by officers and deputies on the task force. At the same time, social media postings seemed to show Smith was prepared for a confrontation with police. An internal document from law enforcement quotes Smith as saying, "quote that he would quote shoot it out if he was ever pulled off um, by law enforcement." Okay, so I mean that's really all you need to know that he he was a wanted felon, fugitive from justice that they were pursuing. He had a gun. This was not an unarmed, in no way was this an unarmed man getting shot by cops. He had a gun. He had an illegal gun because he's a felon and a fugitive, and you're not allowed to have guns when you're a felon and a fugitive. Um, And he shot, he used it. He was shooting at the police. The, The spent shell casings in the car pretty well confirms that. So a wanted fugitive, violent felon, armed, resisting arrest, and putting all that aside, you know, even even all of that doesn't matter. Like the only thing that really matters here is that he was shooting at the police. And he got shot. Literally, if you shoot at the cops, I don't care who you are. Doesn't matter if you're not a felon. You could be the greatest guy in the world. You, You could be Mr. Rogers. Um, shooting at the cops, and you're going to get shot. Perfectly fair. In fact, we could go even further than that. You shoot at anyone who has a gun, and you're going to get shot. Legally. Uh, But, so that's all you really need to know about this. And that, on top of the fact that he had previously announced his intention to shoot it out with the cops, and then he did shoot it out with the cops... But uh, we, could, we could add some more information. He also had, uh, I think it was 20 arrests under his belt, um, including, and he had, he had uh, previously online had encouraged, not only had he announced his intention to shoot it out with the cops, an intention which he then followed through on, but he had encouraged the burning of police stations. He was encouraging violence against police officers. And then he went and committed that violence himself. But one of his arrests... And I almost don't need to tell you this because you, you know this is coming. I'll let you fill in the blanks, because there's one thing we know about BLM martyrs. Almost, almost every, almost every time, they are violent felons in the process of resisting arrest and assaulting or trying to kill cops. And what's what's one crime, one type of crime that they almost always have committed in the past, violence against women, right? So many cases of that, whether it's George Floyd, Jacob Blake, et cetera. Um, and that was the case here too. Winston Bougie Smith had 20 arrests, aggravated robbery of a woman being one of them. And I believe the woman was his, like his ex-girlfriend or something. He committed an aggravated robbery against her. It, it really is, it's almost, it's, it's an impressive track record with BLM. Every single martyr that they choose ends up being not only a violent felon, but someone specifically who had committed violence against women. This is so common. It's like they're they're sifting through all of the potential martyrs that they can choose. And it, it's almost like they intentionally choose the ones who have committed some kind of violent act against a woman. Either it's an intentional choice or it's a hell of a coincidence. That at this point you 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 can assume it. When BLM is rioting over someone being shot by the cops, you could before you even know the person's name, you can just assume that they've committed some violent act against a woman in the past because that's it's always the case. All right, let's go here. This is from the New York Post. It says a New York City-based psychiatrist told an audience at the Yale School of Medicine in April that she had fantasies of, quote, unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way. This is, again, the psychiatrist saying this, not one of her patients. I'd like to know what this psychiatrist would say to a patient who confesses these violent fantasies. I guess she would say, "Well, oh, yeah, me too. That's completely natural and normal. Uh, Dr. Aruna Kilanani, Kilanani we'll just call her, spewed the race-hating virtual remarks in which she also said she'd walk away from the shooting with a bounce in my step and that white people make my blood boil and are, quote, out of their minds and have been for a long time. She said all that at the Ivy League institution's Child Study Center on April 6th. Audio of the talk, which we'll play in a second, was posted on the Substack online platform of former New York Times opinion writer and editor Barry Weiss, on Friday, along with an interview of Killenani conducted by writer and podcaster Katie Herzog, a flyer promoting the talk and posted online by Weiss titled the lecture, quote, The Psychopathic Problem of the White Mind and included learning object- objectives such as set up white people's absence of empathy towards black rage as a problem and understand how white people are psychologically dependent on black rage. What the hell does any of that mean? I have no idea, but we have some of the audio from the talk, and maybe that'll be explained in this. Let's listen.
2: White people make my blood boil. Around five years ago, I took some action. I systemically, systematically, now I'm going to do White girls did, most of my white friends, and I got rid of a couple of white BIPOCs that snuck in my throat, too. I stopped watching the news. Once I started, I couldn't stop. I had less than 1% left. It was also public service. I had fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, daring their body, and wiping my bloody hands as I walked
3: away relatively depleted.
1: Now I have no idea why it sounds like that audio was recorded on a with a toaster oven or something. But uh you can you can hear her say it there and one thing is not that this really matters at all, but from her her tone of voice and everything, it's it sounds to me like these are prepared remarks. So when you first hear about this, you think, OK, was this an off the cuff thing and she was having a bad day and she said this, she was having a, a you know, she like a, a psychotic break in the middle of. Not that that would excuse it, but you think maybe that's what happened. No, this was, this seems like prepared remarks, which when you think of the title of the talk is The Psychopathic Problem of the White Mind. I mean, there's some irony there, right? Oh, the white mind is psychopathic, not you. You're talking about fantasizing about blowing their brains out for their race. Uh, but these are prepared remarks, it seems like. So she, she typed this out. She sat there and typed out, uh, yes, I have a fantasy of unloading a revolver in the head of any white person that gets in my way. And she feels, what does this tell you? Not only that you, we have a psychiatrist speaking, obviously with some prominence. She's speaking at uh, to an audience at the Yale School of Medicine. So she's in a teaching capacity as well. But a psychiatrist who feels this way personally. What does that tell you? And what does it tell you that she feels so comfortable talking about this and sharing these viewpoints? She she knows. Now there was obviously at least one person listening who didn't approve, and that's why they took out their toaster oven and recorded it. But she she knew that almost everyone in the audience would agree with her, white or not. This isn't this isn't um mild anti-white racism which will be which would be bad enough okay this isn't like i get annoyed at white people sometimes this is i want to kill them i fantasize about murdering them and i would walk away with a bounce in i would be happy if you've ever had a fantasy like that a, a really fantasized about about actually killing some blowing someone's brains out And you felt that you would be happy after doing it. Then you've got some deep spiritual and psychological problems. I don't really care who the person is. But you're having this fantasy about an entire race of people. This is like genocidal, murderous, bigotry and, and racist rage that she has. Towards an entire group of people. And... And these are also people, how many actual white people have gone in to consult this scumbag, this racist scumbag? How many white people have, have, have been lying on the couch there consulting her while she's just seething with rage, maybe eyeing the revolver she has locked in the corner of the room and thinking, is this the time? Should I do it now? This is really disturbing. Needless to say. I would hope it's needless to say. Um, but what, what we have to understand is that this stuff, and I, I think this isn't discussed enough. It's discussed by me, but I don't think it's discussed even by conservatives and discussed in the general culture enough that this stuff is deeply ingrained in the psychiatry and psychology fields. Critical race theory, gender theory, all of this far-left militant radical leftism, deeply ingrained in these fields. Now we hear as conservatives, we know about CRT and gender theory and everything in the schools. We know it's a problem there in academia. We talk about how it's a problem in media, but it is probably even more deeply ingrained in the psychiatry and psychology fields. And uh, these are people who have access to very vulnerable minds. They've got patients coming in who that's why they're there they're mentally vulnerable and now they're being subjected to brainwashing from these militant wackos. That's why and people don't like it when I say it but this is why I, w- I would be very very wary of consulting a psychiatrist or a psychologist at all. I'm not saying you can't trust any of them. I'm not saying you should never you should never consult them I'm just saying I'd be wary. I'd be very cautious about it. And you got to really do your due diligence before you pay these people hundreds of dollars to hear your problems. Some of them, a good number of them, are not just far left wackos, but are this is pure evil. And once again, the pure evil that she felt perfectly comfortable expressing to a room of her peers. Comfortable for a good reason, because most of them feel the same the same way. So I don't know if I if you were thinking you needed to see a psychologist, psychiatrist before you do if I were you before I did it, I would uh, I'd be doing a lot of research. I would be talking. To, I'd be getting referrals. I'd, I'd find someone I trust who's already met with that person and I would talk to them to, to get some insight first. You just got to be very careful. Same, same, same way we should be very careful, you know, what school you send your kid to because this stuff is, is there and is so deeply ingrained in the school system. All right. Number three this is from New York, from the New York Post. It says a Texas mom was arrested for allegedly posing as her 13 year old daughter for nearly a whole day of middle school. According to a report, Casey Garcia allegedly slipped into the unnamed school in San, uh, Elizario dressed as the teen, as her own daughter, complete with a hoodie, a backpack, and a face mask to prove a point about lax security. During the bizarre stunt, nobody noticed that she wasn't her daughter until the seventh period at the end of the school day. I think we have a a clip at the very end of this video she posted on YouTube after she got caught. And so she went through the entire day. This is a grown woman, 30 years old. She was at middle school, filming herself the entire day as a 30 year old woman posing as a student and nobody caught her until seventh period. And I think we have that, let's watch.
3: Well, I finally got caught. I told him that I would go to the principal's office. So I guess we're gonna see what happens. Just wanna say thank you to all the girls that helped me get to all of my classes yesterday. I really, really appreciate it. I honestly would have been discovered way sooner if it weren't for you. And if you knew my secret and you kept it for me, thank you so much for not saying anything. I honestly could have not made it the entire day as a middle school student without you.
1: Okay, I'm disappointed. I thought we were going to get a clip of her actually being confronted by the principal. I thought we would get her at the principal's office being lectured for being 30 and not 12, as was previously assumed. Um, So a lot of questions come to mind. It's kind of bizarre. I think, I don't know exactly what point, I guess she says her point was, was about the lack security at the school, which she does expose, that is very concerning, that a grown adult who's not a student could hang out there. And, and even in the video, she interacts with teachers, talks to them, she goes to her classes, she's sitting in the lunchroom, walking the hallways and nobody notices. So there is something to be said there about the lack security. But I, I think what this is really a story about, it's a story about the face masks that these kids are still in many schools, especially in, where was this, in California? Um, in many schools, these kids are still being forced to wear the face masks for no reason. The pandemic is over, by the way. Okay, we we, we got through it. That, the pandemic is over. And um, no reason to be wearing the face mask for all the reasons we've discussed. There never really has been a good reason for kids to wear them, considering kids are not a high-risk group. But they're still forcing kids to wear the face masks. And um, what that means is that the, the adults and the teachers and the people that are in charge, they don't even know who these kids are. They can't identify who any of these people are walking the hallways. That's how you end up with a grown woman sitting in the classroom all day and nobody notices. What does that tell you about the face mask thing? Think about it. There, there are kids... You know, most of these teachers now um, don't know what their own students look like. Think about how insane that is. And that's why they can't differentiate a student from a thirty-year-old woman. So I think she did make a valuable point about the face mask. I don't. I don't know if that if she intended for that to be her primary point, but that's the point she made. All right. Before we get to reading the comments, I have to talk about this because uh, it is a story tailor-made for me in so many ways, because it involves TikTok, and you know I love TikTok, and it also involves beekeeping, um, which, you know, that's a, a passion of mine, even though I currently right now don't keep any bees, because we moved and I couldn't bring the bees with me, but still, I'm a beekeeper in my heart, I think. So this is from NBC News. It says, a TikToker has gone viral for accusing a beekeeping influencer. Of <laughs> a beekeeping influencer. I love that that's a title that people have now. And that's what I wish. I'm not a blogger, okay? Independent. I'm a beekeeping influencer. So next time, make sure you put that in your headline. A TikToker has gone viral for accusing a beekeeping influencer of misleading viewers about how she handles bees and for promote, promoting bad practices when when handling a hive. TikTok user LA Honey Bee Rescue claims that Erica Thompson, who goes by Texas Bee Works on TikTok, and has 6 million followers, is improperly handling bees in her videos and setting a dangerous precedent. So, this is a a really popular thing on TikTok, apparently. A lot of people watch these beekeeping videos. And we'll show you one, just as an example. Here's Erica Thompson, um, very popular beekeeper on TikTok. Had no idea that was a thing, but it is. And um, let's watch one of the videos, and then we'll talk about the problems with it.
3: I got a call to remove bees from one of the weirdest places ever, this toilet. The bees had been living in the tank of this toilet for years and they filled the entire space with comb and had no room left to grow. So I got to work removing the hive. Everything I removed from the original hive was safe for the bees to have in their new home. Here's what the comb looked like. This piece had honey at the top, pollen below, and brood on the bottom. I spent a lot of time carefully removing each piece of comb. This was a happy and healthy colony of honeybees and they were not stinging me at all. After I removed all of the comb, the toilet was still full of bees, which told me the queen was in there. Suddenly, I saw her crawling up the side of the tank. I put her in a clip to keep her safe, and I placed her in the new hive. Then I made a little bee bridge that led straight to the queen so the bees could easily get to their new hive. It worked, and the bees marched right in. After the bees started to recognize the bee box as their new home, I closed up the hive, I waited for the colony to move into the box, then we drove home, and it was another great day of saving the bees.
1: Okay, so she followed good, good uh, proper protocol there, I will say. And by the way, it'd be, it, it would be a hilarious prank for someone to actually sit on that toilet not knowing it's filled with bees. Of course, the toilet's outside and there's bees buzzing all around it. So I guess you'd probably know ahead of time. But uh, there, there are some problems. Okay, far be it for me to criticize, but she's handling the bees. She's not, she doesn't have any safety equipment on at all. And in fairness, people that are very experienced beekeepers, a lot of times they won't wear all of the equipment. You know, the whole beekeeping suit and all of that, that's uh, beginners will, will wear all, all of that. But once you get more comfortable, you don't wear all of the equipment. Uh, because for one thing, bees are, bees are very docile, especially if you use the smoker, um, which makes them even more docile. And as long as you're careful, they probably won't sting you. And things like the gloves, like a lot of people, you feel like you want to wear the gloves because you're handling bees. But um, you're doing, a, you're, you're, you know, doing a lot of sort of fine motor skills and everything, and you're picking things up. And one of the ways to get yourself stung is to drop something and scare the bees. And sometimes the gloves can make it harder to, if you're handling comb or something, or frames, it can make it harder to handle them. So you'll take the gloves off. But she's not wearing any equipment at all. And also she's wearing dark clothing. And you notice beekeeping suits are always white. Why is that? Because dark clothing for whatever reason, that ticks off the bees. I think that maybe they confuse you with a predator or bear or something and they go into attack mode. So that's a no-no. You don't wear dark clothes. She's wearing nothing but dark clothing. And she also has her hair down, you know, very, and it looks, it looks nice and pretty. But the problem is that the bees get caught up in your hair and then they start stinging your neck and your face and everything. So not proper procedure. And now we have the, the critic of that beekeeper. And this is where the feud really begins. Let's listen to her criticisms.
2: All right, this is for those of you who had something to say about what I said about Texas Bee Works doing dangerous um, This is my job. I do this for a living. And I just had bees get through my hood, sting me all over the face when I was 35 feet up in that tree. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but Texas Bee Works doesn't carry ladders. She doesn't carry power tools. Her husband does all of that. And then... Sorry, there's bees crawling up inside my clothes right now. Um, poses her in situations, not the ones that are at her aviary, apiary rather. That's hers. She is a beekeeper, but she's not a bee removal specialist. And a guy in Texas just died by mowing his lawn next to a hollow tree that had an Africanized hive in it because in Texas, the bees are much more dangerous than they are here. So what she does is dangerous.
1: There you go. See, if you thought that UFOs was kind of weird and niche content that isn't interesting to a lot of people in the audience, you haven't seen anything yet. Okay? Get me going on bees. And I'm really going really to start boring you to death. Um, I, but I, I have to side with the... Uh, th- this is Look, there's a lot of drama in the beekeeping community. People don't realize it. Things can get pretty intense. Even deadly. You never know. But I kind of agree with her criticisms. You know, you don't want to send the wrong message. Although at the same time, it's like, you don't want to send the wrong message about, about improper safety practices. But at the same time, how many people are actually going to be tempted because they watched a TikTok video to go and handle a beehive? People tend to be way more afraid of bees than they should be, which is, which is that's where people fall. They tend to be more afraid than they should be, which is fine. So I don't know. I, maybe we need to talk about it for another 20 minutes and really get to the bottom of this. Or we can move on to reading the YouTube comments. Uh, This is from the underdog says, arrest the criminals, put them in prison and keep them there Uh, for murderers. Yes. For rapists. Yes. For weed smokers. No. Smoking weed shouldn't be a crime. Well, first of all, you're already getting what you want on that. It's being decriminalized everywhere. Uh, Eventually it will be decriminalized literally everywhere in the country. And it's it's not an issue I've ever cared all that much about. But I guess I tend to agree um, for the most part. I I, I reluctantly, I feel like I'm forced to agree. My heart wants for weed to remain illegal, but I can't quite intellectually justify it. And I think the argument made by uh, supporters of that position that, well, weed isn't any more dangerous than alcohol. It isn't any more of a a social problem than alcohol. Um, In fact, you know, it's it's more dangerous. It kills a lot more people and alcohol is legal. So how do you justify having this be... Illegal. I I think it's a pretty solid argument. Um, Of course, the argument could go the other way and then you could say, well, okay, let's just let's just make alcohol illegal, too. That's not my position, to be clear. So I tend to be persuaded by that. Um, Although I also don't think this idea that there were the way it's it's been presented by advocates. It's like as if there have just been thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in, in prison, you know, for years wasting away and all they did was smoke a joint or something. I don't think that was ever quite the case, but uh, I generally would agree with you. Um, Jacob says, LOL, Matt doesn't know the psychoactive chemical in shrooms. Yeah, I I don't. Is that an LOL thing? Is that a general thing that most people know? Well, I guess so. Mr. Koo says, Hey Matt, if the alien report comes out when you're on vacation, you may just have to bring back the car podcast. That's a very good idea. And you know what? I, I promise you, if the alien report comes out when I'm on vacation, I will have something to say about it, probably from my car, because we're going to be in a vacation home with a lot of kids and I won't be able to do it there. Um, another comment says, Matt, if AOC turns down the GoFundMe money, can a portion be donated to my family so we can buy a decent car? My life has been a continuous fight with old automobiles and their endless problems and expenses for years in spite of efforts to maintain them properly. Just thought I'd ask. Well, I appreciate you asking. But first of all, you could ask, maybe AOC because she just bought a Tesla. Maybe she could help you out. Um, I, I've got a lot of messages like this from people. Some more serious than others. I think this is a little bit less serious. I've got a lot of messages for people begging me for the money saying, hey, if AOC doesn't want it, please give it to me. Just so you know, it doesn't work that way with GoFundMe. Even if GoFundMe hadn't shut down the account, You can't raise all the money and then say, yeah, never mind. I'm going to give it over here instead. That was never really an option. What happens is they shut it down and now all the money is refunded and that's it. And we have no control over that. Um, And finally, how are you afraid of spiders but would be excited to see aliens from space come to our planet? Well, because aliens are from space and spiders are from hell. And I think there's a difference there. Now checking in with Rock Auto, you know, I don't, I don't, maybe you'll disagree with me, but my idea of a good time doesn't really involve shopping in any store at all, um, but uh, especially not in an auto parts store. If you're having car trouble and you're walking around the auto parts store looking for what you want to find and you're not going to find it, you got to go ask the guy at the desk and then he's going to ask you a bunch of questions about your car that you might not know off the top of your head. Then you're going to feel emasculated and you're going to run out in tears. Okay? It's happened to me many times. Um, just cut out all of that and go to rockauto.com, pull out your phone. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear. And they're a family business. Uh, they've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. And so they know really know what they're doing and they know how to set up a, you know, a catalog that is extensive, has everything you could possibly want, but also is really easy to navigate. Um, Uh, So if you want to, if you you have car trouble and you need auto parts, go to rockauto.com right now. You can see all the parts available for your car or truck. Remember, as always, to write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. If you've watched uh, our new show with Candace Owens, then you know it's a great show and it's it's great to watch, but uh, you can also get it on the go. I don't know if you knew that. Whether she's asking Donald Trump hard-hitting questions like hopping on his ticket in 2024, getting Adam Carolla to expose Hollywood conservatives, or giving feminism the roast it deserves with her panel of guests, you're always guaranteed a smart and funny listening experience. So... Uh, don't just watch the show on dailywire.com. You can also subscribe to and download Candace, the audio podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever your platform, whatever your plat- platform of choice happens to be. And if you like what you hear, be sure to leave a five-star review to keep Candice's podcast at the top of the charts. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, I have uh, not so much a specific person to cancel as an attitude. And this begins with a viral tweet thread, which has since been deleted. I'm not going to name the user who put it out there originally because that doesn't matter. It was was a random small account. But the content perfectly reflects the attitude that uh, I want to address. And it's an attitude that's quite common, especially in the younger generation these days. The tweet said, congrats on graduating. What's next? Well, just working a 40-hour work week every week for the rest of my life, being completely unfulfilled and exhausted and only having 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. to actually relax and being too exhausted to can be myself and enjoy my hobbies only two days a week. Then she went on with this line of complaint for a while, saying how horrible it is that she's now graduated and has to be in the real world, including this part. She said, I've had boomers tell me, manage your time better, get a better schedule, wake up earlier. F you, I'm mentally ill. Time doesn't exist to me. Now, I confess I was not previously aware of a mental illness that turns you into a transdimensional being who exists outside of time, But I'm sure that's probably in the DSM somewhere because everything else is. Anyway, this criticism of the standard 9-to-5, 40-hour work week is, as I said, pretty pretty standard. Uh, It's lots of people, especially younger people, feel this way. And I suspect it's one of the reasons that there's a shortage of workers right now, which is crazy when you think about it, because last year we saw a record number of jobs lost. Record number. I mean, millions of people losing their jobs. This year, as things are opening up again, somehow companies are having trouble finding people willing to take the positions they're offering. Now, obviously, that has plenty to do with the fact that our government is paying people to stay home, but it's also indicative of this general idea believed by many people that normal jobs are beneath them, not worth their time. They are owed something more than that, better than that. They don't want to be one of the rubes out there in the rat race, punching the clock, making a measly paycheck, and so on. Now, To begin with, we should say that 40 hours a week, just so you know, and I don't mean to scare you if you're just getting out of high school or college right now and um, getting into the the working world, 40 hours a week isn't that much. If you only work from nine to five and you don't have to bring your work home with you and you always get your weekends off, then consider yourself blessed. Nine to five, that's the bare minimum in terms of full-time employment. If you worked a few hours fewer than that, it wouldn't even count as a full-time job anymore. So if the horrible grind of having to be at work by 9 a.m. is causing you to break out in hives and tremble with terror, your problem is probably just that you're extremely lazy. Also, it must be said that working a 9 to 5 or an 8 to 6 or you know 7 to 7 or, or whatever your hours are, even if it's in a job you don't feel especially passionate about, is a noble endeavor because you're fulfilling your responsibilities, you're taking care of yourself, and you're taking care of your family. Now, it's great if you can do something for a living that you love, whether that fits into the 9-to-5 framework or not. But many people work their whole lives in jobs they don't love. Are they wasting their time? See, we look down on that these days. We say, oh, you you shouldn't do something you don't want to do. You're wasting your time. No. I mean, did they squander their human existence by spending so much of it doing something they don't like? No, not at all. Because for them, the job is a means to an end. The end is supporting their families and themselves. They might not find a lot of purpose and meaning in the nature of the job itself, but they can find purpose and meaning outside of the job, which is a really good place to look for it, by the way, no matter what you do for a living. And that's perfectly fine and it's meaningful and it's an honorable way to live. To the young people just graduating who think they're too good, too interesting, too important to punch the clock like everybody else, what I would say is this, get over yourself, princess. You haven't done anything notable with your life yet. You have no skills. You have no experience. You haven't earned the right to think so highly of yourself. But what about people who, not through a sense of self-importance, but due to their own unique passions and preferences, would simply prefer to do something different with their lives, would like to go a different way? rather than becoming an employee for some company and putting in their 40 or 50 hours every week. Well, to those people, I say, go for it. Blaze your own trail. Strike out on a different path. Take a risk. Maybe you could start your own business. Become an entrepreneur. Maybe you could become a writer. Maybe you could start your own podcast. I have one. It can't be that hard, right? Maybe you could start a self-sustaining farm out in the country. Maybe you, I don't know, become a wildlife photographer or something. I know a guy who left his job and became a fishing guide, so he spends all his time now out in the woods and streams and lakes fishing and teaching other people about fishing. I mean, he's living the absolute dream. Maybe you could try to do that. Maybe you'd like to travel and figure out a way to earn a living while you do it. I know a few people who've done that. Maybe you burn your social security card and driver's license and set off for Alaska on foot like the guy from uh, Into the Wild. Now, granted, he ended up dying out there, but maybe you'll have better luck or maybe not. Maybe you could become a professional beekeeper and get involved in all that trauma. Maybe you have a real skill in the arts or athletics. I met someone a couple of years ago who goes around making ice sculptures and selling them. Maybe you could do that. There are an endless array of options. You could do almost anything or try to do almost anything anyway. But the chance of failure with any of the options I just listed is very high. In fact, most of the people who do... The things I listed or similar things end up failing. It's high risk, high reward. And the cost of failure can be steep. What happens when you find yourself in Vietnam and you realize that nobody cares about the travel blog that was supposed to finance your trip? What happens when you self-publish your novel that you took a year to write and it sells literally 14 copies, like most books do, by the way? It could be a disaster, but that's the risk you take. And it could be worth the risk. So I say again, go for it. Do it try something different you're young you have no dependents presumably you have only yourself to care for if things go sideways and you end up sleeping in your car for a few months well it's not going to be fun but it's doable so go ahead be bold be daring try to do something with your life where when other people tell when you tell other people your plans they look at you sideways and go oh, okay you're going to try to make a living doing that then maybe actually you do make a living doing it and you get the enjoyment of hearing that same person 10 years from now tell everybody how they always believed in you. Or maybe you fail miserably and you get the enjoyment of hearing that same person say, I told you so. Who knows what will happen, but you never know until you try. But see, all of these alternative paths require work, a whole lot of work. In fact, oftentimes much more work, much, much more work than the nine to five which again is not that much work. So you're not not getting out of work this way. You may be getting out of having a job, but you don't escape work. There is no escaping work. Life is work. And the problem is that a significant portion of the young people who complain about the nine to five are really complaining about work. They don't want to do any work of any kind at all. They gravitate to socialism because they wish to do nothing. They wish to exert no effort and have all of their needs met. And not just their needs. They want to have all of the material luxuries of life along with it. They're anti-capitalist, anti-work, but still materialist. It is a confused, contradictory, and unsustainable way to be. The dream of living a luxurious, pampered life without work it's even less realistic than making a living as a traveling ice sculptor. I mean, a few people in the history of the world have lived that way. Children of billionaires and children of royalty, mainly. I mean, those are that's basically it. But for you, it's probably not an option. And here's the thing. Even if it was, it wouldn't be worth it. you know, a, You want to talk about a life that's not worth living? A life without work. Some kind of work is not worth living. There's a reason why jackpot lottery winners rarely live happily ever after. You hear these stories. Often they wind up on drugs, divorced, in prison, dead shortly after the big win. They were given all of the material rewards life has to offer, but they hadn't earned any of it. They took the shortcut and made it to the other side. And then when they got there, they had no idea what to do. So they opted for heroin and hookers. You cannot remove work from your life and yet retain fulfillment and happiness. These are all of a piece. Again, you don't have to work for a company on a payroll in order to be happy, but you have to do some kind of work. The guy from Into the Wild I mentioned, he made it out into the Alaskan wilderness, and then he ended up starving to death. Um, And shortly before he died, he highlighted the words, happiness is only real when shared in a book that was found near his decomposing body. And there's a lot of truth to that. Happiness is only real when shared. And it's the lesson that he learned. But you could just as well say... Happiness is only real when earned. So if you want to have a happy and fulfilled life, and that's what everybody wants in the end, then you have to work for it. One way or another. And so that is why that random girl on Twitter is canceled. I don't know who who else to cancel. We'll get to the end of this thing. So it's just going to be her, I guess, unfortunately. And uh, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. the show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Senator Joe Manchin may be killing democratic dreams like altogether. Is the Biden administration over? That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show.